From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Welcome to the Bloomberg PL podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at Bloomberg.com. Peter Coy, U.S. economy team covering all the indicators. He's our economic editor for Bloomberg Business Week, and he can be followed on Twitter at Peter Coy, C-O-Y. All right, Mr. Coy, uh, tell us a little bit about the economy and the challenges that a Trump administration faces. Well, Donald Trump is uh, is a regime changer. He's, he's not your average uh, new president coming into office. He's got incredibly ambitious goals. He wants to really change things a lot. And he has vanquished his political opponents. But can he as easily vanquish his economic challenges? And that's the question I have. I mean, yeah, specifically, I mean, he's vowed to cut taxes, but he's also planning to increase spending quite substantially. And uh, the question that I have is, I mean, aren't there going to be some Republicans who don't want to see the deficit expanded dramatically? And how is this going to work? Exactly. So the uh, pair of uh, nonprofits in Washington, the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget and the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center did a joint report looking at Trump's sort of the handcuffs on him, the economic handcuffs, and saying that if you look at Trump's plan, as you said, he wants to cut taxes dramatically, but he wants to preserve the big cost centers of the federal budget, which are Social Security and Medicare and he wants to keep defense spending on track or raise it. He said the new spending over the next decade would be 10 times larger than the new revenue. And as you say, there's a political constraint there and there's an economic constraint. The political constraint is people in his own party might not want to go along with that. The economic constraint is that the bond market vigilantes might not want to go along with it. So we focus a lot on politics because it's been an election, but I think we need to look at finance and economics as well. I want to look at the bond yield, the tenure, uh, Peter, because I know you were interested in that as well, right? Yeah. 2.08% right, right now for the, the tenure. What does that uh, that sell-off in the bond market tell you? Well, you can either look at the level or you can look at the change. The level is still pretty moderate. Indeed. We're not talking about a high bond yield historically. It's the change that matters, and it shot up uh, the day after the election. Yield shot up. The yield shot up noticeably. No, no one wanted to own these 10 years. Right. And so, again, you know, the Federal Reserve has been sort of wanting to see inflation higher. And, you know, what we're probably seeing here is higher inflation expectations being embedded in the, the bond yield. 
So uh, it's not a terrible thing. Uh, it, it could be that people are betting that the tax cuts will be stimulative toward the economy and raise inflation a little bit. It could be an infrastructure spending, which would also be stimulative. So uh, what we're seeing is the bond market seeing, hey, this is a new game. You know, uh, one thing that you quoted uh, from Donald Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, is him saying, I never get too attached to one deal or one approach. I mean, how much do we actually know about what he wants to do? Um, and, and does it matter more who he's listening to with respect to getting economic advice? Yeah, I I think that he, aside from making America great again, which he's definitely committed to, I think a lot of the details are ones that he'll play it by ear. He'll see what he can get through. Uh, he, another quote from The Art of the Deal is that he, he tends to aim high and then fight and then fall back. That's a typical uh, pe- some people do in real estate, right? They, uh, they, they ask for a lot and they don't always get what they want. So when he asks for this enormous tax cut, he may fully intend to pull back and accept a smaller tax cut. The dollar and U.S. Treasuries, opposite directions, is the greatest correlation since December. Wow. What do you make of the fact that you've got this major difference between people wanting to own the dollar and people wanting to own U.S. Treasuries? Well, think about it. Uh, higher yields actually attract money into the, the U.S. And that's, I think that might be what's going on with the currency. Well, there's also uh, the, the flip side of that, which is the depreciation of some currencies uh, that might be uh, of nations that might be negatively affected True. by a newly uh, new new trade deals from the U.S. So you've got the Mexican peso moving quite a bit, and you've got a uh, you know Europe with its own issues. So there's a lot of dynamic uh, action behind there, and there are a lot of people who are stepping back entirely at this point and trying to wait and see how this shakes out. Peter Coy, uh, U.S. economy editor at Bloomberg, thank you so much for being with us. It's really fascinating uh, to see the negotiations negotiations going forward and how this will work um, when you actually have to get to the bottom line. One other place that is seeing uh, some big money and potentially even bigger money is the marijuana industry. I want to bring in Rick Bird, CEO and executive chairman of Pure Agro, which is a company that supplies uh, goods to help with the uh, growth of marijuana plants. This was a big this was a big election for you, wasn't it? It sure was. Uh, I want to clarify, we're kind of uh, a picks and shovels play for what we're calling the green rush. So just like the gold rush, picks and shovels were the companies that made it. We feel we're picks and shovels. We, we just support Apply the equipment, nutrients, and uh, typical farming products. So um, let's let's go over what happened on Tuesday. California voters uh, and those in Massachusetts, Nevada, uh, and Florida, North Dakota, all uh, passed some measures, whether it was medical marijuana or uh, also recreational marijuana, making it legal. Uh, how concerned are you that this could get reversed with an anti-drug uh, Republican administration? I think the Republicans have had a conservative platform on states' rights, and I think as long as they stick to that platform and and let the states do what they want, which has historically been their platform, I think we're in a good position. Now, you have been credited with creating the first, uh, well, the first in the country, custom uh, platinum-certified 
home when it comes to uh, energy efficiency? Yeah, my, my background is environmental uh, construction. So I built the first LEED Platinum home and helped the LEED rating system in their uh, progress into the residential market. All right. And the reason I bring that up is because I'm curious if you can give us an estimate for how much energy, and you, as you said, picks and shovels, it's not just picks and shovels, it's uh, all of the farming equipment, but it's the energy also that is taking off the grid if you, uh, let's say, just set aside the legal issues of uh, the marijuana industry. What kind of energy uh, consumption is are we talking about? You know, it's hard to put a dollar amount or a percentage because I don't have the data from the growers, but I'll tell you it's a big line item for them. And, and actually, the marijuana industry is what's fueling the R&D for these lighting manufacturers and such to bring down the cost of it. And as we see in Colorado, the price of cannabis has been dropping due to the recreational that's forcing these guys to look at their uh, P&Ls and actually pull out Are there any specific items. companies or technologies that you can point to that uh, are being developed? Yeah, there's a lot of technology, and I think we're seeing it in LED. LED really hasn't been able to break into the cannabis market yet. But uh, what I see on the horizon, I think it will be. So one thing that Pure Agro predicts is that the legal marijuana industry will grow to be a $50 billion industry by 2026. What has to happen for that to happen? Right now, you, you estimate that it's about a $6 billion business. Yeah, I, I really think that we're seeing it happen with what you just said about these votes. I mean, Florida going medical is just huge. That, that Once again, that's a... Florida Republican. passing the, the, the bill legalizing medical it, marijuana. Exactly. And then California going recreational. So California, by a couple of estimates, represents either 62 or 82 percent of the totals country country's cannabis market. So when you look at it like that, just California alone could throw a big chunk, 60 to 80 percent of that number you just quoted. Yeah, I love, Pim, I love that every industry has their uh, lingo and that this is going medical or going uh, or going recreational. recreational. I love it. The different expressions that come up. Um, How about going just to go run down some of the initiatives, right? Because Massachusetts approved, uh, voted for recreational marijuana, also extending legal marijuana uh, makes it a coast-to-coast -coast situation, doesn't it? It sure does. So there are still those that uh, oppose this or that are sort of trying to get court orders to halt some of the uh, bills from getting implemented or for allowing people to uh, exercise their new rights. Um, basically, before there's a social study to look at whether this does uh, have a bad effect on uh, social fabric. Um, how concerned are you about that kind of activity? Well, since, you know, my company owns the largest player in Colorado and Colorado was really the social experiment. So what we're seeing with Colorado is that they love the tax revenue. There is no uh, other consumption of other drugs, that gateway drug sort of mentality. I think that's been put to rest. And um, I feel that Colorado, since they've already done it, we'll see the same thing happen in California. We'll see public opinion be very high after the recreational passes. Real quick, which state do you think is next to legalize marijuana? Wow. Um, I'd like to see New, New York. Is that where you're from? 
<laughs> I'm bi-coastal. Uh, thank you so much for being with us, Rick Bird. A fascinating time for the marijuana industry. Rick Bird, CEO and executive chairman of Pure Agro on the marijuana business, which thank could you. grow to be $50 billion in the next 10 years. Definitely a big industry. Uh, definitely something to watch. And I know, anecdotally, speaking to many traders out there, that it is something that they're watching as a potential profit uh, boon and something to, to bet on. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how they do that with a picks and uh, shovels type of play or not. This is Bloomberg. All right, let's solve the issue of retail sales with an expert, our own Poonam Goyal, senior U.S. retail analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. Poonam, where do you want to start? You want to start with Macy's and Kohl's, and then I know we get Nordstrom's after the close today. Yeah, sure. We can start with Macy's, I guess. That's the largest department store. So let's start there. I think, you know, overall on the department store channel, you're seeing the stocks rise the last I checked high single digits. And that strength is coming from the sales weren't that bad. I mean, that's really it. They were still down, <laughs> but they weren't that bad. So I think the optimism really comes from there. Kohl's was a big surprise. Um, they actually beat by 10 cents, um, which is a big number. Sales, they missed a little. The beat was entirely on better expense management. So very good numbers out of Kohl's. On Macy's, the numbers were weaker, but the guidance was better. Um, they expect same-store sales to be less negative. Um for the year, which is good for the fourth quarter. So what what's behind the less negative outlook, which is, by the way, so encouraging. I mean, it makes <laughs> it makes me just want to run out and buy something. Uh, what's behind it's, it? It's all about inventory. It's all about inventory management. Retailers have been really in the spiral of, you know, too much inventory, have to discount um reduce the sales. And at the end of second quarter, they were lean on inventory. They maintained that inventory discipline. They're continuing to pull back orders from wholesale, and that's helping their margins, and it's allowing them to discount less. So that's really the magic behind why things are less bad. Uh, traffic is still down, so that that continues to be the case. Do you think that this is worth it? I mean, I'm looking at Macy's shares, and they're up uh, Eight percent, more than eight percent. Well, I just, I'm just, you know, like I've got to hear. I mean, I know. Putnam is saying, you well, know, here, that no, basically I'll, it's I'll, less bad. I'll, I'll, let me, let me Carry add on. to this. Let Go me, ahead. let me add to this. This is the seventh consecutive quarter in which sales and profits have both declined. Correct. Correct. Um, Macy's made, I love this, zero point two cents for every dollar it took in in revenue. I didn't do the math, but I assume you're right. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, you can't do that for very long, can you? No, you know, I, I think that's the problem for retail, though, right? In general, we're in this position where consumers are not going to stores. And if they are, they're choosing when and how and where they shop. They're shopping more online. So these retailers, by nature, have to evolve. And Macy's today said something about that. They hired... Um, Brookfield. Brookfield yes, Asset Management exactly. because they got a big base of real estate, right? I mean, they got that Union Square store in San Francisco, Which for example, $250 million. Yeah. But, you know, Harold Square is still on the table, and that's what everyone's eyeing for. So I think they're taking baby steps on their real estate. But when the Harold Square deal strikes, what it is, um, you know. What do you think, think that's going to look like? Can you give us some idea of the shape? So I think it's going to be the last one that they do because it is the largest and the most complex. This stuff. is for the New York City flagship store. This is for store. the New York City Herald Square, the, you know, the iconic Macy's store. Um, it's valued at $4 billion from Starboard. That's what it was valued at in January. So that's the big deal. 
And when that happens, who knows, but I think it'll be the last. They're kind of just scratching the surface, pleasing investors by making these baby sales. Um, But that's what everyone's waiting for, for Macy's. I'm looking at Nordstrom shares, uh, Nordstrom reports after the bell today, and they're up about almost the exact same uh, amount as Macy's shares, more than 8%. Um, Why? I mean, I think everyone's just expecting less negative news, but probably more positive from Nordstrom. So Nordstrom wasn't really supposed to follow the weakness that we had expected originally from Macy's and Kohl's because they had an anniversary sale shift. So if you recall their anniversary sale that they have every year, a week of that moved from the second quarter into the third quarter. And that was supposed to help Nordstrom's results. We expect it to help Nordstrom's results. But just by seeing um, better numbers out of Macy's and Kohl's, I think the market in general is more positive on the department stores. Could, it have, could the better, um, better than expected numbers have anything to do with a stronger economy than many uh, analysts were expecting? I, you know, I don't think there's much that has changed in the economy if you look at the third quarter. Uh, Macy's cited very good back to school, and so did Kohl's. So I think that's encouraging. But things did soften in September and then we're kind of flattish in October. So I'd say uh, less to do with the economy, more to do with maybe tourism for Macy's. Um, They had 100 to 150 basis point impact from tourism in most of the last um, 18 months. And now tourism sales are just in line with their comps. So that's helping Macy's too. JCPenney, they will be uh, reporting uh, results tomorrow. tomorrow. And the stock is up more than 8.5% today. What's the JCPenney turnaround story looking like? It's, you know, it's on its way to a turnaround. It's proven it. Um, we expect no different tomorrow. Results were going to be better than Macy's and Kohl's. And now it just reinforces if they didn't do that bad, they probably did even better. Appliances, focus on home, private label, Sephora. I mean, those are all positives for the company. The company probably will not or will take a long time to go back to $17 billion in sales. It's right now at under $13 billion. Um, but it's growing and its stores look better. Its digital platform is improving. They're making all the right steps to differentiate. Marv- Marvin Ellison is really pulling this one out. He is. He's doing a good job. He's differentiating the department store. Well, you know, uh, you, you talked uh, just in general about the uh, online presence. I mean, how much are you learning, given Kohl's and, uh, and Macy's uh, earnings today, how much have you learned about the progress they've made on that front? I think they've all made a lot of progress, but online still isn't the bulk of their sales. Does it need to be? It probably will have to be at some point as they close stores. So, you know, we've been calling that stores need to close. Macy's announced 100 for next year, but 100 out of 700 some odd store Macy's stores is still too many stores. There's about 400 to 600 AB malls, the malls that you want to be in. And um, do they need to be in more than that? That's the question. So will online grow to be more than just 10% of retail sales? Absolutely. At some specialty apparel retailers, it's anywhere from 25 to 30%. Um, department stores, I think, are still scratching in the low double digits. So there is more opportunity there. Buy online, pick up in store has great attachment rates. That's helping them. That's a plus for them when they compete against Amazon that doesn't have those locations. But we should see fewer stores down the line, if not fewer, at least smaller stores. Smaller stores for Macy's, indeed. And we're also going to be getting Walmart results next a week, actually, from today, right? Right. Uh, Walmart. Next uh, week. And their, their stock is up 16% uh, so far this year. 
Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.